Would you go to space? Think about it for a minute. You're not an astronaut with years of training. You're a regular person who doesn't know the difference between a rocket and a space shuttle. Given the chance, would you strap into the seat of a rocket filled with thousands of pounds of fuel and wait for T minus zero, knowing if just one thing goes wrong, there's no return? Spaceflight is dangerous. There's no doubt about it. There are few experiences in life that carry such a high risk. But commercial spaceflight is about to enter an entirely new realm. SpaceX has been paid to launch four civilians into low Earth orbit on a multi-day trip. Three of those passengers just learned they'll be going less than a year ago. The mission is called Inspiration4. It's likely you've heard about it by now. There's a Netflix documentary about it, and the crew has been featured in Time magazine. That's because it's the first time everyday people like you and me will make up the entirety of a space crew. I'm not talking about just a 10-minute suborbital trip either, like what Blue Origin and Virgin Galactic are doing with paying customers. The Inspiration4 mission is a legit rocket launch from Kennedy Space Center taking four humans into space beyond the International Space Station orbit for three days. To go into orbit and return home, the crew will experience up to six G-forces, use a tiny toilet for three days, and essentially become a meteor crashing through the Earth's atmosphere on their way back down. I'm Emily Speck, and you're listening to Space Curious. How this all-civilian mission got its start is just so very 2021. To help explain this wild story, Axios space reporter Miriam Kramer joins us. She knows a lot about the mission and the crew because she's been interviewing them for almost the entire duration of their training. So the whole thing kind of starts with this billionaire named Jared Isaacman. He had basically sort of approached SpaceX and then been approached by SpaceX to to put this mission together. Uh, and it was entirely sort of his vision. So instead of picking sort of three other buddies of his to fly to space, he instead decided to, to basically like put together kind of this like ragtag team <laughs> of uh, almost random people to go with him to orbit. It's a very different method than, you know, NASA, like these NASA astronauts train for years and are vetted in many, many, many different ways. But this was all on an incredibly accelerated timescale and with just, you know, average folks like civilians. So tell me about Jared Isaacman a little bit. Was he friends with Elon Musk? Like, how did this even come about? Yeah, I mean, so he's not friends with Elon Musk, but he's always been a huge fan of SpaceX and of Elon. So he actually was wanting to invest in SpaceX. That was how he ended up on the phone with them. And the way he told me, he basically like offhandedly commented like, oh, yeah, you know, I might be a client one day, like joking that he would go to space. And then they were like, oh, okay," And like put him in touch with the human spaceflight program. And that's sort of how the story starts. Like that, that call, that joke kind of led to this whole thing. Isaac Men is the 38-year-old founder and CEO of a company called Shift for Payment. 
As a teen, he dropped out of high school and got his GED after getting a full-time job offer. Later, he founded United Bank Card, a payment processing company, which is now called Shift for Payment. He also owns a company based here in Florida that trains pilots for the U.S. Armed Forces, and as a result, he owns a fleet of fighter jets. We'll actually come back to those jets later. In February 2021, Isaacman and his company launched a contest putting out a call for anyone in the U.S. to win a flight to outer space. The idea is each of the four passengers should represent a different virtue. Leadership, hope, generosity, and prosperity. Haley Arsenault, a physician with St. Jude's Children Research Hospital, was chosen to represent hope before the contest even launched. With Isaacman filling the leadership seat, only two seats remained generosity, and prosperity. My name is John Krause, and I'm a spaceflight photographer based on Florida's Space Coast, and I photograph pretty much everything spaceflight related here at the Cape and everywhere else in the world that I can get to. This 21-year-old photographer almost won the prosperity seat after he raised $10,000 for St. Jude's Children's Hospital, but he didn't get chosen. I like 99.9% won the competition, even though I didn't win. However, he got the next best thing. So I'm serving as the campaign's ground-based photographer. And it's important to say that because a few people, when they saw the announcement, they thought I was going to be on the mission. But I'm actually photographing all the training and preparations that the four crew members are doing before they launch into space. And then, of course, I'll photograph the launch itself here on the ground. And how did that come about? You know, you wanted to be on that mission, right? Because this was through a, through a campaign, through a competition, and mm-hmm. you didn't get to, make, get to make it, but this is kind of the next best thing, right? Yeah. So the missions commander, Jared Isaacman, reached out a few weeks later, said, hey, uh, I like your work. Would you like to come on board as our photographer? And here I am now taking pictures of the astronauts as they prepare to go to space. After the contest deadline closed, a panel of judges selected the prosperity seat. The generosity seat was essentially chosen by a raffle from people who had donated to St. Jude. Despite multiple requests to interview the crew, the Inspiration4 team was not able to join the show. But SpaceX did host a quick Q&A with the astronauts the day before the launch. First up is Cyan Proctor, a college professor from Arizona and a well-known science communicator. She was picked through this sort of wild sounding Shark Tank style competition for entrepreneurs that basically pitched uh, this panel of judges on why they deserve to go to space. She has this incredible story too. She actually made it to sort of one of the final rounds of NASA astronaut selection uh, and was not chosen. And she's always had this dream of becoming an astronaut. And, you know, private space flight to her is sort of the way that you get there now. And that's what she's doing. Uh, I am a mission pilot. And it's really special for me to hold that title uh, because I'm going to be the first black female pilot of a spacecraft. There have been three black female astronauts that have made it to space. And knowing that I'm going to be the fourth means that I have this opportunity to not only um, accomplish my dream, but also inspire and inspire the next generation of women of color and and girls of color and and really get them to think about reaching for the stars and what that means. 
Her story is really interesting. She's an educator, right? She's also an artist. Um, you know, the fact that she never got to go as a NASA astronaut and she got that far. I mean, what was it like talking to her about this? I'm sure this just, this means so much to her. She had given up on this dream and then suddenly she's living it. And you can really see that when you talk to her. Like she is so excited and so prepared and so sure. Like I, 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 I can't help but think about it. Like if I were trying to go to space, like if I were on this flight or something like that, I don't think I would be anywhere near as confident as Cyan is. And she like knows the material in and out. Like she clearly is in her element when she's at training with SpaceX. Like it's it's kind of like amazing to watch because it feels like you're watching someone who is like literally living a dream that they never thought they would get to live. So and that's what we are watching. It's very cool. <laughs> and for the fourth seat, Chris Simbroski uh, is the guy who got the golden ticket. So he's uh, an engineer in Everett, Washington. He is like a family man, has two kids and a wife. But uh, I know that for me, one of the most difficult parts for this was uh, just going through it with my family, how I've had this incredible year with my crew and my teammates here. Um, but remembering that our families are the ones that are also supporting us in all this, and they're having a completely different experience and uh, listening to everything from the outside without being right down the center line of, of, of working with Benji and the team at SpaceX. And he's a space nerd through and through, which is really interesting because he was picked out of a hat effectively. This was the raffle that was sort of announced as a Super Bowl ad <laughs> and had, I think, 70,000 people enter. The interesting thing with Chris is actually that someone else was picked out of the hat. And for one reason or another, they weren't able to you know, go and embark on the training. So they had worked with Jared to actually pick Chris. Do you know who that person was? Did you get to speak to them or? I don't. Yeah, they they have wanted to remain anonymous and everyone has been uh, very tight-lipped about that, very respectful of their desire to remain anonymous. Haley Arsenault also has an amazing story. She was diagnosed with bone cancer at 10 and went to St. Jude's Children Research Hospital for treatment. At 29, she will now be the youngest person to fly to orbital space. Her seat in the capsule will represent hope. Here's Arsenault talking to CBS News. So we're going to call the St. Jude patients from space. They're going to see that somebody who is in their shoes, who also fought childhood cancer, can go to space. And I think it's really going to show them what they're capable of. As a person on the petite side, I related to seeing Haley in her spacesuit training. John Krause told me she even has a custom smaller spacecraft seat. She has big eyes and a bright smile, but her journey has made her incredibly strong and tough. She is. You know what's funny? Her crew members describe her as tough as nails also. It's like she's very sweet. She's very encouraging. And I think that that's true. Um, but she's also like tough. Like she's been through a lot and she's doing this for a reason like she's doing this because she believes in the St. Jude mission and she believes in what this can say to other kids who have cancer the amazing life you can live post-cancer I think that's like really what she's uh, what she's going to space for following the crew selection process the real challenge began learning what to do in the event something goes wrong in space yeah, I mean, so they've done a ton of work just learning the Dragon's systems. 
it's a complex spacecraft and it's mostly operated from the ground, but you have to learn how to use everything on board in case something were to go wrong. So that's a lot of what they've been trained on. They did a zero G flight to sort of feel what microgravity might be like. They have done centrifuge training, uh, sort of feel the G's of launch and re-entry, various profiles like that. And, you know, they've gone through like early on in the process, they've gone through like a battery of medical testing just to make sure that they're, you know, fit and ready and, and good to go. They also have been put on like an exercise regime by SpaceX trainers so that everybody's, you know, as fit as they can be ahead of ahead of flight. <laughs> it's a lot. The Dragon spacecraft is fully automated. So from launch to landing, the passengers should just be able to sit back and enjoy their ride of a lifetime. However, in the event something should happen, the crew can manually take over operating the spacecraft. Its systems are operated by touchscreens that look like giant iPads. There are some actual buttons, but for the most part, it's fully touchscreen, and the spacecraft can be maneuvered in space by a joystick-like control. Driving a spacecraft is not like driving a car. Instead of right and left, forward and backward, the spacecraft uses pitch, yaw, and roll similar to an aircraft, but a lot trickier because no gravity. SpaceX actually put their Dragon space station docking simulator online, and it's very hard unless you're really into games like the Kerbal Space Program. Were there some interesting stories or anything that you heard from the crew about training and maybe something that surprised them or that they had no idea what they were in for and <laughs> that got thrown into it? Like the centrifuge, that sounds kind of crazy. Yeah, the centrifuge was, it sounds like it was pretty nuts. I mean, they, that was like the first bit of training that they did together after their announcement. Um, so they had been to SpaceX and kind of done like the initial checkout of everybody. But uh, pretty much from the announcement in Florida, they went to the centrifuge. And the actual experience of it sounds pretty intense as it is, because it's like, it's a simulation of launch. So you hear the sounds, you feel it. But there was also sort of a, apparently a psychological component to this where they had a psychiatrist sort of on standby, like watching how they reacted and seeing if anyone kind of, I don't know, the way it was put to me was like freaked out. <laughs> and everybody was totally fine. But it was it's like that's like sort of where the psychology element like gets thrown into this as well. Like they want to be sure that they're sending folks who are ready to go to space. The crew has gone through simulation training that includes spending more than 24 hours in a mission simulation, as if they were in orbit, and mission managers throwing them curveballs to see how they would hold up. I mean, there was also one really funny story that, that I think Chris had told me, where they were doing a 30-hour simulation in the Dragon capsule at SpaceX, so the, the sim on the ground. And it was, it's, a, it's an extremely long sim. Like, that's not something that NASA typically does either. So... They were doing this 30 hours. And as part of it, occasionally one of the crew members would have like an alert pop up on their iPad and they would need to read it without the other crew members seeing it so that they could like effectively act something out that Mission Control wanted them to do to see how the other crew members reacted. And so Chris got one that told him he needed to pretend to vomit during a media event. <laughs> on the capsule. So they started this media event and he pretends to vomit and apparently Haley like swooped in like it was nothing and just like took care of it uh, and like stopped the whole thing and just like came on. So it's like, 
it's those little things like, oh, like now you have to be an actor like as part of your training. <laughs> and all along, photographer John Krause has been with the crew as they prepare for flight. What are some of the things that over the past few months that you've got to, to join along with and, and experience and, and see? The first one that comes to mind is we did a zero G flight out of Las Vegas in mid-July. And that was really cool because you're only going to experience zero G like in a plane uh, where you can simulate it by flying in a parabola or in space. So it was cool. It was really cool to see the crew get to experience zero G before they actually make it to space. And then I got to be there as well, taking their photographs as they were floating around in the plane. How was it trying to photograph people in zero G? That's that sounds kind of tough. Yeah, I said this right afterward and I'll stick to it. It was the single hardest photo shoot I've ever done. So trying to focus on four different people who are all moving on their own different planes, as well as, you know, I'm moving because, you know, you don't really have anything to, to keep you anchored unless you're like holding onto a wall. And then you got to shoot at a fast shutter speed to make sure you're freezing them. But, you know, everyone's moving. It was just such a dynamic environment. And I, I think I got decent stuff considering that it was the first time I had done that. Jared Isaacman has also arranged for some endurance training and bonding with his fellow crew. They've hiked Mount Rainier and put his fleet of fighter jets to use. So both of those were meant to be dynamic scenarios where the crew can get accustomed with each other, um, put them in a bit of a stressful environment to see how they handle it, um, really focusing on communication and just getting to know each other better before they go on this three-day journey in orbit. Miriam Kramer was in Montana while the crew was doing some fighter jet training recently and said Haley Arsenault was probably the most excited. And she just like really wanted to feel the G's like she wanted to like do the flips and everything else. And like, you know, maybe a couple of other people were more tentative. But Haley was like, no, 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 like, give me more. This is really cool. So she's like in. She's very in for it. (laughs) Meanwhile, John Krause has made multiple trips with the crew documenting those flights midair. It was challenging, but it, it was actually a bit easier than I probably thought. I have a few colleagues that do that kind of work. And they were, you know, giving me advice and tips and stuff. And I took it, of course, but it ended up being a really fun experience to get to fly information with the crew. Even though Kraus isn't launching with the crew, this experience has been a whirlwind for him. Actually, when I think about it, the past five years of his life have been more exciting than most of my adult life. I first met him when he was in high school and he started photographing launches. He quickly grew a large social media following and his launch photography is some of the best out there. It's worth noting that like my background as a photographer is photographing rockets, not people. And, you know, the overwhelming majority of my work with this campaign is photographing these four people and their team members as they prepare to go to space. And the the final kind of bit of it is the rocket launch. So learning to photograph people in the way that I've been doing has definitely been a challenge. For both Kramer and Kraus, they will be there on launch day at Kennedy Space Center. They'll watch as four people they've come to know very well blast off into the great beyond people with families and careers outside of space. This is like totally sacred ground. Everyone who ever walked on the moon launched right from this facility. Which is scary. I have the utmost confidence in SpaceX. You know, they've flown humans multiple times. They're flying on flight-proven hardware. I I think they're going to do the job perfectly. But spaceflight is risky. It's new when you think about the grand scheme of, you know, humans. We've only been going to space for for not too long. but I've never befriended a payload. I've never become friends with Starlink satellites or GPS satellites, but I've become friends with these four people. So it, it's definitely personal for, personal for me to see them launch. Um, and I, I'm curious to see how I'm personally gonna handle 
you know, watching that rocket go into space, knowing that like four people that I've become pretty good friends with are gonna, are gonna be on top. It's rare to get this kind of access to NASA astronauts, but these four are ushering in a new era of space access. I feel really lucky that I've gotten this this opportunity to sort of get to know this crew in this way. Like they do feel like a really special group of people. And it's interesting because so often space crews, professional astronauts, like it's not that they're more closed off. It's just that it's a different way of looking at space. Like space is a, is a job and they are employed to, to do that job. And with this group of people, it's just a different idea of what sort of space means. Like to them, space is is this thing that can inspire, to use the, their term, like a, a large swath of people uh, and has like a greater, this, this different kind of good that they are perpetuating through the mission. Where are we at right now with spaceflight that this is happening? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I've been thinking about this moment as um, a really interesting and awkward adolescence for the space industry, specifically for, for spaceflight. The big dream is to eventually have, you know, if you hear Jeff Bezos talk about it, millions of people living and working in space, or Elon Musk wants a city on Mars. Like, these are big visions that will require flying hundreds, if not thousands, of people to space one day. And they're not all going to be trained professional NASA astronauts. They have to be ordinary folks. So this is sort of the first step in that process, like actually sending a fully civilian crew to orbit figuring out how to train them, figuring out how the capsule works for a group of folks that, you know, haven't been working toward this for decades. Thank you very much to Miriam Kramer and John Krause for coming on today's episode. Be sure to follow John on Twitter to see his amazing work at John Krause Photos. And check out Miriam's podcast about the Inspiration4 mission at Axios.com. I'll put links to their work in the show notes. Hi, listeners. Emily Speck here with some news. This is my last episode hosting Space Curious. It has been my honor to share this show with you. I hope that I've made some new space nerds out there. Don't worry, I'll still be covering space and you can keep up with me on Twitter at EMSpec. Thank you to my managers, Daniel Dom and Allison McGinley for their support of the show. And a very special thank you to my editor and co-producer, Zach Rosen, for whom this would have never made it to your ears without his creativity and talent. Until next time, stay curious. Stay curious.